Our scripture today is from Ruth, chapter 4, 13 through 17. It says, So Boaz took Ruth unto his home, and she became his wife. And when, she slept with, when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for you and your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you more than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor's women said, Now at least Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. God to the people of God. Be to God. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. Man. <clears throat> so Josh is out and uh he's uh I can't remember where he's at this week, but he's gonna be out the next couple of weeks. Um he has a work trip and then some family trip and some different things. So um, I got the honor of getting to sing and um, preach this morning. I just haven't sung in a while. <clears throat> so I looked at John and he's like, do you need a cough drop? And I was like, I sure do. <laughs> so I'm going to have this cough drop. We're just going to pray that my throat holds out. Um, but it is such a joy to get to be in worship with you this morning. Again, I said at the beginning of service, uh, if you're a regular attender or a member here, thank you so much for being here. Um, if you're a visitor or this is your first time here, special thank you for being here. Um, again, not because we're so special, but because we love being the body of Christ. And it doesn't happen unless people show up. Amen? Amen. All right, so um, we just love getting to do this thing. So last week we started a brand new series called The Arcs, um, and The Arcs isn't actually a word. It is short for the patriarchs and matriarchs, or we're discovering the patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, except that's not really completely accurate either because we're not really going to be talking about the people. We're going to be asking in these stories, what does this show us about God? What, what does this reveal to us about the character and nature of God? And so last week uh, in our setup, which we're going to kind of do every week, but we asked the question, what is the Bible? And we said, it is the word of God. But I wanted to give you the definition of scripture from our Global Methodist Church Transitional Book of Doctrine and Discipline. Ooh, yes. I'm a nerd. I'm, one of the first things I did when I stepped into this, I printed, I had, I had uh, Office Mix print the entire thing and spiral bind it. And I was like digging through the, sorry, nerd. But this is the definition here. We believe the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, reveals the Word of God, so we were correct in our answer, 
the Word of God, so far as it is necessary for our salvation, it is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed in or established by the Holy Scriptures is not made uh, is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it to be taught as an essential to salvation. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So the next question we asked was, what is in the Bible? And we said, stories. Even in some of the weirder passages as you get into some apocalyptics and as we go into the Psalms and as we look at Leviticus and it's just begat after begat, it really is a bunch of stories. It is story after story after story after story of, of ancient all the way through the life of Jesus we see this fabric being sewn together. So does these stories. And so which led us to the question, who is the only character that appears in every story? And we had the old Sunday school answer, which was Jesus or God. Yeah, like God appears in every single story. And I said that really confidently last week. But the, the story of Ruth is maybe one of the few, some of y'all can maybe correct me, where God doesn't have like an audible, like, then God said, fill in the blank. The story of Ruth is great, and as a matter of fact, we're going to be talking about Ruth today, in case you caught that spoiler alert. But stories matter because they connect with something in us, and we're asking the question, what does the story tell me about God? I jumped ahead of myself. Did y'all catch that? I was super smooth and bring it back, though. No one noticed. We're talking about Ruth today. <laughs> That's the story we're talking about. So last week when we talked about Abraham, we started, and it was the passage in Genesis 12, was, and it starts out, then God said to Abraham, or Abram. It was real easy. It was easier last week to say, well, this is what this passage tells me. This story tells me about who God is. Ruth, it's a little different. So in your Bible, Ruth is the eighth book. All right, and it's following right after the book of Judges. Um, but in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth actually follows the book of Proverbs. It's in a different order. Now, the, one of the very last passages in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 31.10, um, where it asks this question, can anyone find a worthy woman? And so that's what the book of Proverbs kind of sets up, and it's like almost just like question and answer. What comes next? The book of Ruth. The story of Ruth. And so, uh, as we did last week, I developed a Cliff Notes version for the story of Ruth. And it was actually a little more difficult because there's a lot of things that happen in a very short amount of time as far as reading-wise. Um, and so, y'all follow along with me. This is a Cliff Notes. So everybody that knows the story through and through, don't look at me like with angry face because I'm going to leave a couple things out, all right? Everybody good? Okay. Off the top, Naomi, very important character, moves from Judea to Moab with her husband, Elimelech, and her sons. We are introduced to this character, Naomi, this guy, Elimelech. They move from Judea to to Moab with her husband and her sons. Um, When they get to Moab, her son, uh, Malan, both sons marry, but Malan is the one we're going to talk about, married a Moabite woman named Ruth. Okay, so now Ruth is now in the picture. About 10 years later, Malan dies. And Elimelech dies. And the brother dies. And Naomi tells Ruth 
to return to her family. And that's in chapter 1, verse 8. Ruth's response to Naomi is that I will not lead and pledges this like fealty and this, this full servitude. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. I will be buried with you. That's how for real I am. And, 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 and the God, your God will be my God is a very powerful line of what Ruth tells Naomi. Again, her mother-in-law, once those men had died. So Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, Judea. That's chapter 1, verse 19. Naomi tells Ruth to gather grain for them to eat. It's a common practice. If you were following the, 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 the standard teachings of, of Orthodox Judaism and, and just the nation of Israel, not everyone did, but Boaz, who we're going to introduce in a second, did. You, whenever you were gleaning your fields, you would intentionally not Glean every last little stalk. You would leave some on the corners. You would leave some um, in different areas. And you just, you could go back, obviously, and get it. And you would have more of a yield off that crop. But what it was is it allowed the widows and, and those in need in the community to go and work and have something to eat. So that's what Ruth goes to do. Naomi tells her to do it. So Boaz, who's the owner of the field, told you we're going to introduce him to you, and this is him. He sees Ruth and tells her to only gather in his field. He says, don't go anywhere else. You're going to gather in my field. Then he goes to his workers and he says, hey, leave a lot for Ruth. Boaz proceeds to wine and dine Ruth. This is the Cliff Notes version. But read the scripture. It's right there. Chapter 2, verse 14. He wines and dines the woman. Naomi tells Ruth it's time for her to remarry and tells her to approach Boaz on the threshing floor. Again, we're, we're talking grain, the threshing floor, this process that Boaz is in. There's a lot of significance there and we don't have time, but that's where her approach to Boaz takes place. Boaz decides after they have this interaction and, and, and Ruth says, I'm, I'm, I'm here and, and I would, you know, like to present myself as an option for you to marry. It's a different culture. I'm trying to, trying to bring it in <clears throat> and make it PG. Um, Boaz secures, uh, so Boaz decides to marry Ruth, but he has to take care of some family business to make sure Ruth's place in the family is secured. Again, Boaz is what, is what Naomi calls a guardian of the family. He's one of their protectors. So he is connected into this family system with Naomi and her dead husband, Elimelech, and her dead husband, uh, Malan, who was Ruth's husband, the, who they had passed away. And so Ruth is still just an in-law. The only thing holding Ruth into this entire equation is that she told Naomi, I'm going where you go, even though Naomi had told her, you don't have to. Go find you a husband among your people. Which is, need to point out, I read, a, I read a book this week that gave me some really cool information. Um, Ruth saying that to Naomi was not a small thing. Because the Moabites, it's not like um, what we would think like a Baptist and a Presbyterian. Like, I'm going to go to your Baptist church. No. The Moabites were carnal, pagan, like not good folks. They, like, for Ruth to tell Naomi, your God will be my God, was a proclamation that she was dying and leaving everything that she had known in her family, her town, her 
practice of faith, everything she was connected to, she was saying, all of that is dead to me. I am going to follow after you and I'm gonna serve the God that you serve, Naomi. It's a big deal. So again, we have this foreign woman attached to Naomi, hitting on and getting hit on by Boaz. Let me catch up with my notes here. So all this takes place. Boaz secures Ruth's right to the land that belonged to her husband's family. It's not a small deal. Because in that culture, there was actually another individual who had first claim to Ruth. And all the women said, that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard in my life. It's just how it was. Just everybody, calm down. But there was another, there was another uh, man who had first claim to marry Ruth and make sure that that land and property that was her husband's and, and, and was Elimelech's stayed in the family, stayed in the tribe. And so Boaz goes to that person and he says, hey, it's your job, you have to marry her. And he's like, okay, I will. He always says, yeah, but if you marry her, you also have to purchase this land. And, the, and then that person says, but hold on a second. I can't, I have a conflict. I can't actually own that land because I'm in this deal over here. And, and so Boaz goes, okay, well, then do you pass? And he says, I pass. And like right then, Boaz says, everybody, you heard him. You heard him do it. But keep in mind, the step that Boaz is taking is restoring Ruth into a family that she has no blood relation. She is a foreigner. She is not the good people. She's an outsider. And this work that Boaz does is he makes sure that not only does he marry Ruth, and so they can have a romantic relationship, but he actually secures her place in the family so that she could never, it could never be ripped away from her. It's, it's important that we understand this is what Boaz was doing in this process. It's not just a love story like a Taylor Swift song. It is a hard-nosed, like, I'm going to be intentional to bring the thing that, that literally you married this, this man and he died. This was his family's property. And because I am connected to the family, I'm going to come in and I'm going to secure your place in this birthright. Amen? Okay, let me finish up here. So, both in Ruiz, <laughs> Ruiz, Boaz and Ruth, if they, if they had a trendy TikTok couple name, it would be Ruiz. I couldn't have planned that if I wanted to. Oh, my goodness. So, Ruiz, uh, sorry, Boaz and Ruth um, are married. Um, her position in the family is secured. And Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Naomi, okay, grandma. Naomi raises Obed as her own. All this has taken place. People begin to, 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 to like shout, Ruth is better than seven sons. Look at the blessing that has 
come to Naomi, even in her tragedy, even in her grief, even in her loss, even though her husband and her sons were killed because of Ruth, because of Ruth, the promise and the establishment of the family, the heritage, the lineage was all locked back in place because of these things that took place. And people began to, to, to call out to Naomi and be like, you had, a, you had a tough break, but guess what? Guess what? It's been restored. And that's the picture that we see take place. And oh, 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 by the by, Obed happens to be King David's grandfather. You know, David, who we like talk about all the time, who like established the lineage and line that we get, that gave us who? This is what actually preceded all of that. So, in a passage where God doesn't have any speaking parts, but is clearly at work, I'm gonna, we're going to switch a little bit of a strategy here, and we're going to ask this question before we ask, what does this tell me about God? We're going to ask the question, what do we see in the story of Ruth? And I broke it down to these three things, honor and submission. Naomi honors Ruth by saying, get out of here, go marry somebody. Uh, my sons are dead. My husband's dead. Even if I could have more sons, it wouldn't work out. Go. Go back to your people. She honors Ruth. Ruth, in turn, honors Naomi by saying, no, 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 no. Where you go, I go. Your God will be my God. I will be buried with you. Boaz honors Ruth by saying, I'm, gonna, like, I'm going to actually do the hard work to not just fulfill my romantic desires, but I'm going to secure and, and establish your place that was robbed from you when your husband, when your husband died. And then in return, Ruth honors Boaz. And this whole thing is just honor and submission. So we see honor and submission. Second, we see connection and responsibility within a family system. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this. There is, um, there's just a reality that what is taking place is happening on a biological level. And it's happening on a spiritual covenant plane. Because yes, this thing is established by Elimelech and Naomi and their sons who marry these Moabite women. But at some point, the, bio, the biology said there is no connection. There is no responsibility. There is no reason to honor and submit. But something else stepped in its place and it was this, it was this piece of spiritual, like no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to do the thing that is outside of the custom because this is right. This is where I'm called to. This is what I believe Yahweh is pushing and directing us to. So we see that. Third is we see grief and loss healed and restored by a new generation. Ruth is better than seven sons. Sorry, I got a cough. <laughs> Sorry. In this, in this culture, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, seven sons, cool. Do you understand the difference because of the placement that men and women had in that culture? There had been a very high probability that saying Ruth is better for Naomi than set, if Naomi had seven sons, it would have been considered blasphemy in some ways. It would have been considered completely against what they believe and how they saw the hierarchy of men and women and what a son meant 
for a family and what a daughter meant for a family? Do you understand that that statement alone could preach for like a month and a half? But grief and loss healed and restored through a following generation. So Naomi's grief and loss healed and restored through Ruth's obedience as she honored and submitted and faithfully walked out this process. And then obviously with Obed, like there's a grandson born from Ruth and Boaz or Roaz as somebody has recently named him. And Naomi raises Obed. So that's what we see in the story. So what does the story tell us about God? God is honored when we honor others. Yeah, but I just want to point you to the one fact that Naomi honored Ruth, a Moabite woman, who, yeah, was probably nice and sweet and had proven herself to be a loving daughter-in-law and like all those different things. But culturally, she did not have to do anything any of that, to release her from her responsibility to say, no, go and find a new husband, because if you keep tagging along with me, you're just going to be an old spinster, and this thing isn't going to do well, and I want good things for you. Naomi honored Ruth first. So the subsequent domino effect that took place of, of Ruth honoring Naomi in return, and then Boaz honoring Ruth, and Ruth honoring Boaz, and in this whole process we see throughout this whole story, it happened first when Naomi, who was full-fledged, like, captain of the ship, she was the matriarch, went to her daughter-in-law and said, I could lean on you and guilt trip you and hold your feet to the fire and tell you that according to culture, that now that all the men are dead, that you've got to stay here, but I need you to go. And I want to give you that right. I want to give you that permission. I want to give you that opportunity. And so everything we see fall out comes out from, comes from that one place. So God is honored when we honor others. Second, God's view of, of our covenant family, God's, God views our covenant family the way we view biological family. I need everyone to take a deep breath because there is a wide range of different kind of positions and buckets that people sit in because you can, you can read passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and I'm, I just want to say this. We are talking similar approach for us as believers between our covenant family, our spiritual family, and biological family. I'm not saying one is better, one is worse. I'm not saying any of that. Some would, and I'm not. Everybody nod your heads. You've heard me say that. Okay. God views our covenant family the way we view biological family. And we see that because the covenant was upheld by Boaz to Ruth when, when it, it didn't have to be. He could, have, he could have just married her, but not gone through the steps to clear it with the other individual who first had rights to the land and the family line and the property and, and the heritage and the dowry, all the different things. But he did that because he understood that even though she's not biologically entitled, she is covenant entitled. Y'all with me? Come on. 
Sorry, that was more for me than y'all that come on there. So I, I want to point us to this. In John 19, verses 25 through 27, we see from Jesus himself this, this cross, this commingling of biological covenant, biological line, and, and, and then spiritual and faith covenant and family lines. And it goes like this. Jesus is on the cross. It starts in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to his mother, behold, woman, behold your son. And he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. Jesus on the cross, paying the ransom for the sins of the world. The, 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 the flesh is peeled from his back. Everything is, is literally caving in on top of him. And, and he looks down and sees his biological mother and his spiritual brother. He says, hey, I'm establishing this right now. Because the, the, we have to change some of the identity. And that we call each other, oh, Brother Bill. Sister Margaret, Sister Sue, we use that terminology in church, but do we really understand the weight that that means, what that brings with it? Do we understand that there is a, that there is a faith covenant that bonds us together and it sits right there with the same bond that you, I mean, we love our families, even though sometimes we kind of wish like, I wish someone gave me a choice on a couple of these folks. We feel the same way about church family. And that's fine. But we are so much quicker to say, oh, I don't like your stuff and your thing. And we'll separate and disconnect. And the truth is, is that we're here. And like when we align under that covenant that is clearly outlined in Scripture, then we carry this, we carry this connection. When that's broken, it breaks our heart. It should. If you break it, it should break your heart. If it's broken with you or with the body, then it should like, just say, yes, I understand what you're talking about because if my brother did that to me, I would be ruined. We see this in the story of Ruth. And then finally, God works through each generation. And we, said, and we clearly saw this as Obed was raised as Naomi's son. Obed was King David's grandfather and part of the lineage of Jesus. Like, if, if, if biological connection didn't mean anything or doesn't matter, then why does it matter that King David is the line that begins what we would eventually lead to Jesus' birth? Why does it matter that Obed, Obed is King David's grandfather? It matters. But these two things have to live in unison with each other. So hopefully we've uncovered a new piece of who God is. When we discover a new part of who God is, and this is something we didn't quite do last week, but I want us to do it this week. Hopefully this has like kind of tickled your brain a little bit and stirred in your heart a little bit. Like, okay, this is like a new part of kind of how God has set up this whole creation. And when that happens, then, then, then we really have to ask like, what is this new reality of God as it's told through the story of Ruth? What does that mean to me today, for us today? And you know the way that I like to do this is I like to ask the question. These are not statements. These are questions. 
if the question makes no sense to you, then it wasn't meant for you. If it hits you square in the heart and you feel really convicted, then it was absolutely meant for you. Okay? So here's the first question. Have we withheld honor and or respect from others? Notice I didn't ask, has honor or respect been withheld from you? Because that's typically where our brain wants to go anyway. Have we withheld honor and or respect from others? If we see so clearly that God is honored as we honor others, if we see that that took place even when Naomi honored Ruth, who wasn't like worthy of honor, as far as the cultural expectation, then I'm going to ask the question one more time. Have we withheld honor and or respect from others? Two, do we value our family of faith the way that we value our biological family? Not more, not less. But if I'm going to ask that question, I'm going to ask another question. Because not all of our biological families are real safe, happy wonderful experiences. And that that works both ways. So maybe you come from a broken home and maybe you have seen the devastation and and the just ripping apart of family units. Maybe there, there is not a joyful smile that pops into your head when you think about family. Have you applied that to the family of faith as well? Because we don't do that. They carry similar weight. There's healing and, and, and restoration, but, in they, in they, but they happen both. And they will look different, but we don't exalt one over the other. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater um, as we pursue this thing. But so many of us, we can, I can tell you, I just again, when I say so many of us, I'm saying this is something that I churn on. I've got stuff, family stuff, codependency stuff, enmeshment stuff. I've got family stuff that I don't even know about until something happens. And I have a way over the top or way under the bottom response that is like, why did that bug me so much? And if you think that doesn't exist in our covenant faith family, we're wrong. But we carry the same the same idea that this is my family, this is my heritage, this is my lineage, this is my legacy. This is, this is the, the thing I was called into, whether it's biological or it's spiritual or it's something in between. We, we tend to want to navigate and negotiate those terms more than we should. Third question. Do we see new generations or a new generation as the problem? Or the solution. Another way to ask that is, do we see new generations as the issue or the, or the fulfillment of a promise? Do we know how to look at an Obed and say, look at what happened. Everything back there just got wiped away and restored. And this is like seven sons. And guess what? Obed, we can look forward and say, oh man, the Obed here is going to do something that's going to radically change the globe. Or do we just kind of say, oh, you know, 
these kids these days. Because the Obeds are here, y'all. They're being born every single day. Carrying on the legacy, carrying on the lineage, carrying on the line. They will be the future grandfathers of the men and women who are talked about in history books. Everybody take a deep breath. What I said was true, it's just hard to process. Stop seeing this this generational piece because God uses the generations to restore, to, to bind up grief and loss and pain. He uses the generational pieces. So that means you might not see it. It might not show up next week. It might be your biological lineage. It might be your spiritual lineage. Who are you pouring into? Who are you calling forth? Who are you calling up? So, the story of Ruth. I think that there is, um, there's so much that you can dive off into. And so, um, as, I, as I've processed and gone through this and even went through it last night, God was faithful to, um, again, bring a book into my, uh, into my world this week. And one of the sections was on Ruth. And it gave me this insight, and it gave me a new lens to view God's grace. Like, if we're going to talk about the character and nature of God as it is revealed in Scripture and in these stories, then it, it, it spoke specifically to God's grace. So I actually want to just close this entire thing, because, again, man, there, there are sticky moments in everything that I've kind of brought forth and said this morning. Um, and if it's too sticky and it's not a safe place for you to try to, like, churn through some of that, then just take this one piece with you as you go, okay? Because this was the synopsis from this book that I read. A Gentile woman from an incestuous, devil-worshipping, child-sacrificing family becomes an ancestor of the Redeemer of the world. Only God can do that. That is His grace. Just take that. And the specifics and the details and and how God does that, no, no, that he's in this process of revealing his grace and his love to the world. And even when it looks completely wackadoo, we get to to like say, oh, wow, it's amazing. I'm going to read this one more time. A Gentile woman from an incestuous, devil-worshipping, child-sacrificing family. We talked, the Moabites were not great folks. Becomes an ancestor of the Redeemer of the world. Only God can do that. That is his grace. You might recognize that name, Bruce Pratt. Um, I don't use a lot of quotes. Because typically I would quote somebody and you wouldn't know who they are. So it's like, (laughs) thanks for saying that. I don't know who that person is. Um, Bruce is sitting right over here. Um, He wrote that book um, in 2020, 2019. Um, And uh, he just walked up and handed it to me last week. He said, read it, don't read it. It's okay. And that's what God used. So know that 
this is still active. This is like how God works and fulfills promise and all that. It's, it's not an old ancient thing. It's taking place today. God's showing up in little miraculous ways because I still have no clue how Pastor Robin got here. I don't. We have, like, I love you guys, but I don't know. Y'all just stumbled in one day and there's just this thing that's the Lord at work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can you come on up? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song and uh, take care of a couple things and then we'll, we'll head out of here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful to work in and through and beyond culture and norms. And Father, that your grace is evident in so many different ways. Lord, we come to you today and we just, we, we repent. Father, we repent for the moments where we have not honored, we have not, um, we have not faithfully submitted to, to each other. Father, we repent for, for moments that we have tried to do the math equation and we have belittled our faith family or our biological family or we have uh, put on a pedestal our faith family or our biological family and just put things completely out of balance as you would have them used in our lives, Father. And so we repent of that this morning and we ask that just as in the story of Ruth, in the story of Naomi, the story of Boaz, Elimelech, Malin, Father, use us, use me, use every single individual in that way that what seems like a mundane, just stuff thing, gathering grain, moving cities, suffering through grief and loss of a loved one, losing a spouse. Father, in those things that seem like they are just so bland and so the antithesis of, of your love and your grace, Father. We just, just give us eyes to see that, that you are flooding and you are rushing into every single one of those situations, every single one of those moments, and that you are turning those little tiny minor things, that grief and that loss, you are turning it into your promise fulfilled. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Without it, we don't have a breath. We pray all this in your name. Amen.